صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنرز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 اي ام اند باليستاين ريمبرد وذ روبرت مارتن ناصر مشني اند يوسف احمد الريماوي Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of Palestine Remembered. This week, I'm going to share with you a speech I made at a forum hosted by the Green Left and the Socialist Alliance. Noura joined me, titled, Israel's Apartheid Against Palestinians, A Crime Against Humanity. That's coming up soon, but first, let me remind you that next week, Rob and I will be live in the studio for Radiothon. If you haven't already donated to Palestine Remembered, do so now. It's okay if you don't donate to Palestine Remembered and you just donate to 3CR. We need your subscription. We need your support. We need you to support community radio. 3CR provides an avenue for voices like the Palestinians to speak truth to power. So many of the voices that you hear on 3CR don't get a fair hearing, don't get any air in mainstream media. So do the right thing. Go to 3cr.org.au or call in next week. Speak to Rob and I live on the radio and make a donation and be a champion supporter of community radio. I hope you enjoy my presentation from last week. Thank you to all. Thank you, Chloe, for the invitation and thanks everyone for, for coming out today online and in person. Often a lot of people don't realize the similarities between this colony and the colony that is the state of Israel. And it's important to share that little bit of history in the context that Palestine has its own terra nullius. Zionists claimed that Palestine was a land without people for a people without land. And that was the basis under which they stole Palestine off us. Inconveniently, though, as Indigenous First Nations people existed here tens of thousands of years before Captain Cook, etc., came we existed for millennia in, in Palestine. We lived, we laughed, we farmed the land. And who knows what our actual ancestry is? We could be Canaanites, Jebusites, Philistines, Anatolian or Lydian Greeks, Hebrews, Amorites, Endemites, Nabitians, Aramaeans, Romans, Arabs, Western European Crusaders, Ottomans even. Now imagine after all of those invasions and conquests, all of those cultures, religions and differing beliefs, that you believe that this land is for the sole and exclusive ownership of the Jewish people and the Jewish nation alone. To believe that this land that had so many cultures and religions, to believe that that is solely for Jewish people is to make you a Jewish supremacist, to make you a racist. That is exactly what Israel is. Zionists struggle with the conundrum, with the challenge of Israel being a democratic Jewish state. The conundrum they faced and the cognitive dissidence that they go through to have to square that circle is that they can only have two of the three. You can be Jewish and democratic, but not all the land. You can be democratic and all the land, but not Jewish. Or what we have today, the reality of today, the apartheid that is today, that you've got all the land, you are Jewish, but you're not democratic. And the absolute definition for that 
is apartheid. And we all know what apartheid is in the sense of the concept that of that institutionalized racial segregation system that existed in South Africa. And the term apartheid comes from that Afrikaans word for separateness or apartness. In Israel, the policy is called hafrada or separation. And this has evolved to be something like South African apartheid, but on steroids. The crime of apartheid is defined by the 2002 Rome Statute. It's very clear as to what it is, as acts of a character similar to or other crimes against humanity committed in the context of an institutionalized regime of systematic oppression and domination by one racial group over any other racial group or groups and committed with the intention of maintaining that regime. Palestinians have been saying that Israel meets these criteria since Israel was founded, because it was founded as a racist endeavor to create a Jewish, to create a Jewish state in a land with a Jewish minority. You had to, have to demographically engineer that outcome. And you can't do that without doing something truly evil. You can't go from a minority to a majority without doing something truly evil. Palestinians call that, and we had our 75th commemoration of that only a couple of weeks ago, and that's when 750,000 Palestinians were ethnically cleansed from their homes. 540 villages disappeared from the face of the earth. During Anapa, villages were surrounded. Zionists, Jewish terrorist forces, the Haganah, the Irgun, the Stern Gang, these despicable Israeli terrorist forces, had created a plan. It's called the Plan Delet that David Ben-Gurion okayed, and David Ben-Gurion ultimately became the first prime minister of the state of Israel. They targeted every village in what was then Palestine, Mandate Palestine, and determined where those people should go months or years in some instances before May 1948. And so those villages were surrounded in the north, from the south, east and west. Those terrorist forces went in, often... Uh, committing just a minor atrocity, just killing half a dozen people, lining them up on the wall, against the wall and, and spraying them, and then telling everybody that they had hours or a night to leave. Otherwise, the same thing would happen to them. And tell anyone you pass that we're coming. And so those villages were uh, mapped. Who had to go north to Lebanon and Syria? Who had to go uh, east to Jordan? Who went south to um, what became Gaza and, and Egypt? And it was horrible. Thousands and thousands of Palestinians were killed, and ultimately three-quarters of a million, 90% of the Palestinians were ethnically cleansed from their villages. Those villages that were wiped out were bulldozed. European forests were planted over those villages. And because the new Zionists, so many of them came from Western and Eastern Europe following you know, the Holocaust and all of the pogroms and all of that anti-Semitism that is the Western disease that had fled to Palestine, they wanted to Europeanize. Palestine, we need to make it look like the Alps. And so they brought with them such wonderful native fauna like um, pine trees. And they covered Palestine in these non-native species, you know, a, a deciduous plant that has oily leaves in a climate not dissimilar to Australia's. And one of the other countries that has the most terrible bushfires other than Australia and California is in fact historic Palestine. So they covered these villages with these trees to erase Palestine from the land. Now, when these Jewish terrorist forces were done, they'd ethnically cleansed 78% of historic Palestine or 90% of its indigenous inhabitants. But some remained. 
So what do you do with these pesky remnants of, you know, the Indigenous people? Well, you imprison them, you create laws that uh, marginalise them. And for almost 20 years, Palestinians that remained within what was then accepted as Israel, they lived under martial law. And it was only in 1966 that martial law was lifted. But then they started creating the apartheid laws that were meant to oppress those Palestinians. And the math is very simple. You can't have a Jewish state and not prejudice, subjugate or oppress anyone that isn't Jewish. And the only way to do it is to institute different sets of laws and different sets of laws. And that by its very definition is it? And when you institutionalise those laws, what are you doing to the public? You are creating a sense of superiority, of greater ownership, of racism. And what's that's manifested itself, where it's got to today, is the Palestinians face the most racist, fascist Knesset ever elected. Now, I say that, and in context, in 1948, war criminals, British police, and many of the British police in Mandate Palestine were Australian diggers, were on the hunt for people like Menachem Begin, because these people were terrorists, wanted pictures. For future prime ministers that wanted dead or alive, £10,000 reward, that was Israel's first Knesset. Actual, these were terrorists. This Knesset is even worse. Painstakingly, slowly, but finally, the world is waking up to exactly what's going on and it's becoming harder and harder to be Israel's friend. And we're seeing a little bit of a change in the way the language, the the diplomatic language is couched around Israel you know, being a friend of the Israeli people, friend of Israel, because it's harder to be a friend of this sort of Israel where Ben Gavir goes uh, and gives talks. Placard or lectern is in fact a greater Israel that sees Israel exist from the uh, Euphrates to the Nile, you know, and talking about a greater Israel. It's increasingly hard in polite company to go, I'm a friend of Israel, but not quick enough, obviously. But in the past few years, we've seen the world waking up and human rights organizations around the world are starting to say the sort of thing that Palestinians have been saying for decades, that Israel is a racist endeavor, it's an apartheid regime, and they're being more bold about saying it. And it's not a little charge to say so. But B'Tselem and Yeshtim, these are Israel's two leading human rights organizations. They've both charged Israel with being guilty of the crime of apartheid. But they've been joined by Amnesty International Human Rights Watch, the Harvard International Human Rights Clinic, the UN Special Rapporteur on Palestine, and the UN Committee for the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination, among so many other organisations. Even a former Attorney General of Israel, Michael Benyer, has said that Israel is an apartheid state. Today, it's an unquestionable fact that Israel is, is guilty of the crime of apartheid. What Israel and its apologists try and do is obfuscate and say that it's nothing like South Africa. Well, apartheid doesn't have to be like South Africa for it to be apartheid. The Rome Statute 2002 is very clear as to what apartheid looks like. It doesn't have to look exactly like that. Those same apologists will say there's no line that says blacks only or no colours. It's not uh, George Wallace's Deep South. It's not Alabama. Well, they're right. It's not like that. It's unimaginably worse. It's unimaginably worse. In all the lands that Israel controls, i.e. historic Palestine, and it has a little bit of Syria and a little bit of Lebanon, there's only one currency. 
Only one entity controls the entry and exit points, the birth and death registry, the planning laws, where you can live, the radio spectrum, taxation, immigration, emigration, passports, IDs. Every government function imaginable is controlled by a single entity. And that entity is the Israeli government. Now, in the land of historic Palestine, there are two peoples, Jewish people and Palestinians. And Palestinians are all sorts of things. There are Palestinians like myself that are half Muslim, half Christian. There are Christians, there are Bedouins, there are Druze, there are Samaritans. There are Palestinian Jews. There are atheists. More than 50% of people Israel rules over are, in fact, not Jewish. Though the privileges of first-class citizenship are available only to Jews. Trace your heritage back a thousand years as Norda can. Norda is what's called an Israeli Arab. Trace your roots back a thousand years in Palestine, but in 1948, Palestine and Israel, it means nothing. Now, Israel and Zionists will tell you that all the citizens of the state of Israel enjoy full democracy in Israel. That's a lie. There are more than 50 laws that discriminate against anyone who's not a Jew. Uh, just a couple, as a same thing, the Israeli nation state law in 2018 was passed and it says the right to exercise national self-determination in Israel is unique to the Jewish people. Now, I'm Australian. I was born here. My children were born here. Nuru was born there. Can trace her roots back as long as anybody can trace their roots back anywhere. But it's unique to the Jewish people. She's not Jewish. She doesn't care. The law of return, the Israeli citizenship law, Grant every Jew in Israel, in all of the lands Israel controls, the West Bank, I like to say East Palestine, Gaza, every Jew on earth, the superior status and rights of Jewish nationals of Israel, including the right to immigrate, immediate citizenship. This is not available to Palestinians or those born like Nura or any descendant like myself of a Nakba refugee. A Jew can live in a settlement that has an admissions committee admissions committee and their job is to implement selective criteria for accepting new residents including considerations such as cultural or social compatibility i'm just going to make sure you fit in ambiguous situations a common question is um so what year did you serve in the idf now israel is a military state it conscripts every one of its kids the boys for three years at 18 the girls for two years and as you can imagine Nura isn't serving in the israeli defense force and so um, when confronted with that question, because it's another thing, most Israeli Jews actually look like Nura and Ali. They don't look like what Israel so wonderful at doing and projecting a very Western white image. Most Israeli Jews are Arab. They're Arab Jews. Right? From Iraq or Egypt or Palestine or Lebanon, Syria, they look like me. And so when we're not quite sure and we're in the admissions committee, we might go, so, I mean, they they wouldn't ask NASA because this is obviously an Arab name. But there are <laughs> names like Emir, which are ambiguous. They're Arab or they're Hebrew, same word. Um, they go, so Emir, when did you serve in the army? And Emir would say, no, I wasn't in the army. Oh, were you injured? No, I'm not really injured. <laughs> okay, we'll get back to you whether you can live here, Emir. And, and this same question is used in job interviews, social settings, like if, you know, a girl likes a guy, she goes, hi, Emir. What unit were you in? Well, I wasn't really in a unit. Were you injured? Well, I wasn't really injured. No, you're not that cute. Um, so apartheid has its levels of infraction across, across society everywhere. Within 1948 Palestine or Israel, there has not been one new Palestinian town built. One new Palestinian town. 
all of the organic growth of Palestinians within the state of Israel has been on top of existing Palestinian infrastructure. And so what you can imagine from a very rural society in the 40s, when the state of Israel was created to where we are today, this has created an immense amount of overcrowding, pressure on infrastructure and resources. Yet Israel has built thousands of new estates and homes for Jewish um, people and Jewish cities. And they've got all of the advantage you might, advantages you might expect from a modern new subdivision, etc. They've got, you know, good roads and good infrastructure and plumbing and electricity and high-speed internet, etc. They've got schools, access to municipal services, etc. The gap between a Palestinian town and an Israeli town is glaring beyond imagining. And this is within Israel proper, let alone within the West Bank. And it's even gla more glaring when we talk about justice and how justice is meted out to Palestinians. Palestinians under occupation are subject to a separate legal uh, system where military courts oversee every single Palestinian. Their trials, which grant them fewer rights and protections, compared to their Jewish counterparts. So if you're a Palestinian in the West Bank living in a, in a Palestinian town for millions of years of history, and an Israeli settlement has been built on this town's villages, a child there commits a crime, they get Israeli civil law, Palestinian is subject to a military court. This blatant discrimination is a clear violation of any principle of equality or basic humanity. If you're a Palestinian, you get to go to a court that has a 99% conviction rate. Children aged 12 are torn from their homes in the middle of the night. They're questioned in a foreign language without a parent or advocate present. They're beaten and threatened, made to sign confessions in a language they don't understand or are barely conversant in. But if you're a Jewish kid, well, you get the full benefit of Israel democracy. And uh, what that means is the parent is present, the lawyer is present, they question you. Um, um, after issuing a summons and asking you to come to a police station. In fact, Palestinians are convicted of 99%. Jewish people between 2005 and 17 had a conviction rate of 3%. Just last week, we witnessed Flag Day in Jerusalem. Now, Flag Day is when the most racist, violent, fascist of Zionist thugs charge through the old city of Jerusalem, waving a flag, and chant things like death to Arabs and another Nakba is coming and no such thing as a good Arab, a good Arab is a dead Arab. Now, you can do that and you're a patriot in Israel. Now, raise a Palestinian flag if you're a Palestinian in a Palestinian neighbourhood and you could get shot. In fact, a law has just been pushed through the Knesset. It's first reading. There's three more readings that have to go to make it actually law. But this would ban the public display of flags of a hostile entity. When this bill is passed, flying the Palestinian flag in public will be punishable by one year in jail. One of the starkest manifestations of Israeli apartheid is the construction of the settlement network and its connecting roads and infrastructure in, in East Palestine. And these settlements are condemned by, you know, international law and Barack Obama's last thing was to not veto a resolution in the UN condemning settlements. Yet they continue to expand and Israel connects them to each other. Israel connects them to state power, water and other municipal uh, services. Meanwhile, the Palestinians whose land has been stolen to create these, these settlements are denied that access and denied the opportunity to use those roads. Our number plates are a different colour so they can tell whether or not we're on their roads. 
This deliberate and systematic theft of Palestinian land further entrenches the apartheid system and perpetuates this constant cycle of dispossession, marginalization, and oppression. Severe restrictions on movement imposed by Israel have created this uh, a checkpoint and checkpoint and barrier system. That if you see some of the images, and all you need to do is Google, you know, Palestinians at a checkpoint. Palestinians line up from sometimes 4:30, 5 o'clock in the morning with permits to work within Israel. Many Palestinians line up just to get on the other side to be picked up as day labels. These Palestinians are subject to long hours of waiting, harassment, humiliation when trying to travel within their own landing. And these uh, measures severely hinder their ability to access education, healthcare, employment, even the basic necessities, making it a sickening violation of their right to flee movement. This is in the good bit of Palestine, in the West Bank. In Gaza, an open-air prison described by David Cameron when he was Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Israel maintains an air and sea and land blockade that's now 16 years. And really got to understand what this means as a blockade. It's a medieval siege. We understand what a siege is. It's surrounding the castle and denying food and water until you force the captives to surrender. Now, this is what Israel has done and is doing to Gaza. It calculates the daily calorific intake of required to ensure there isn't mass starvation in Gaza and only allows that much food in. Electricity is turned on for between four, six, eight, ten hours uh, a day. Now imagine studying in that space or trying to keep food fresh in your own kitchen. As soon as the power comes on, there's a rush, quickly plug in your laptop, get your phone charged. Hospitals run on bare subsistence levels of care. If you need real care in Gaza, you've got to get a permit to leave Gaza to go to a Palestinian hospital in Jerusalem. And guess who issues that permit? Israel, of course. And of course, Israel sees, uses this as an opportunity to leverage this desperation over the, um, over the Palestinians. So many people have, have chosen death over cooperation with Israel because these permits are issued very infrequently and are often come with the caveat that says, you know, we need you to inform one of the families. And so parents are making, having to make really, really desperate start choices. I just share one story with you, and there are thousands of these stories. A Gaza woman, she was 24 years old, she was pregnant with triplets, and the kids were in desperate desperate challenge, as multiple births can sometimes be. And she applied for a permit. She got the permit to go to uh, East Jerusalem to have a, a very early induced birth. All three children were born alive. Sadly, both her sons died in the days after the birth. Uh, her daughter was alive and on life support. She took her sons back to Gaza to bury them. She took them back. Uh, and buried them, and Israel didn't give her a permit to go back. For six months, she watched her baby on FaceTime when nurses chose to give her access to her children. It took six months for them to give her a permit to go back and get her child. The UN said in 2020 that Gaza would be uninhabitable. 95% of the water in Gaza is saline. Gaza had amongst the highest rate of kidney infections on earth, amongst the highest rate of death from treatable breast cancers. 
because we're not allowed to have nuclear medicine and permits are so hard to get to leave um, Gaza. There are 2 million Palestinians who live in Gaza. It's only 365 square kilometres. has the highest, one of the highest population densities on Earth. And to give you an understanding of what that means, if Australia had Gaza's population density, Australia would have a population of 42 billion, 42 billion people. Schools now run three and four shifts to get all the kids through school. 50% of the population is under 18, has amongst the highest unemployment rates on earth. 70% of those 2 million people are refugees from the Nakba, and they could walk home in less than two days. Imagine spending 75 years as a refugee that close to home. All too often dismissed by Zionists in the West is the terrible plight of Palestinian refugees who have been denied the right to return to their ancestral homes for over seven decades. The denial of this right, enshrined in international law, perpetuates the statelessness and suffering over generations, most of whom have been forced to live in squalid refugee camps. Finally, I'm coming to a close. What does apartheid mean to me? For me, in a practical sense, it means I can't go home. But when my father died, we had to seek permission from the Israeli embassy to repatriate his body, his dying initials to be buried next to his mother. And we called the Israeli embassy and, you know, we believe in a two-state solution. Our bit of Palestine is actually in Palestine. Two heartbreaking calls, a couple of dismissive and cursory questions as to my father's religion and citizenship status. And the calls were gruffly ended and they hung up saying, it's not possible. Even in death, Israeli apartheid doesn't spare Palestinians and exacts one last and the most cruel of cuts. As depressing as all that has sounded, I want to let you know that it can and will be better. And I want to share with you what Palestine used to be and can and will be again one day. And it's the Palestine my father grew up in in the 20s in Jerusalem. And it was a time where Ibrahim, Abraham and Abraham, it's Arabic, Hebrew and English for the father of the these three monotheistic religions, all played marbles together. On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, uh, Abraham, Abraham and Ibrahim played marbles together. And on Friday, Ibrahim went to mosque. On Saturday, Abraham went to temple. The later on Sunday, Abraham went to church. On Monday, they played marbles together. My dad's first girlfriend was a Jewish girl. She was a Palestinian, he didn't care. As we meet here on land that always was and always will be Aboriginal, I've no doubt that the actions taken by the Israeli government constitute a crime against humanity, and it's our moral duty to speak out against these injustices, and we must hold the Israeli government to account. What we can do is support the Palestinian call, civil society call for uh, boycott, divestment and sanctions campaigns similar to the one that freed South Africans from the continent. Through boycotts, divestment and sanctions, the world stood in solidarity with the oppressed then, they sent a clear message that apartheid was unacceptable, and we need to do that too. The plight of the Palestinian people demands our unwavering attention and action. And most importantly, this is really important, Palestine is the point of concurrency for the three evils of imperialism, colonialism, and capitalism. This is why so many settler nations have so much invested in Israel's success. The world will defeat Zionism, and a defeat of Zionism is a win for all oppressed and marginalised people of the world over. Thanks again for this opportunity. And when Palestine's free, you'll know you did your bit. So thank you so very much.
I hope you enjoyed that presentation I did for the Green Left and Socialist Alliance. Israel's apartheid against Palestinians, a crime against humanity. Now, listeners, make sure you call in next week. Speak to Rob and I live. We need your support. We need you to call in and donate and subscribe and support 3CR, Community Radio, Palestine Remembered. We'd really love to talk to you. Don't be shy. We won't bite. Be sure to call in next week and speak to Rob and I. Support Community Radio, support Palestine Remembered, and support a platform that gives so many voiceless peoples an opportunity to speak to power. Thanks for listening. Share the podcast. Tell your friends. And remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine. Wise men say Only fools, only fools All right, right, I hear Falling in love with Like a river Surely to the sea, darling, so it goes. Some things come into real.